0: WGR Sports Radio 550 presents.
2: We got at Nate Geary Sports. And uh, Nate
0: says, Merry Christmas to everyone except for Tom Brady, who is probably watching his
2: own documentary with his family this morning. Sports Talk Saturday. We were watching the highlights of last year's Super Bowl, which we won, but we weren't watching <laughs> a documentary. Does
0: Nate actually play sports?
2: Emotional damage on WGR.
0: You good? Not little yes! Day. He died of emotional
1: damage. Sports Radio 550. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk Saturday. Unfortunately, the very first Sports Talk Saturday of the 2022 offseason. It feels like I should be preparing for my AFC championship game pregame show for tomorrow, having multiple guests on, having my buddy Ben Baby of ESPN coming back in consecutive weeks to talk about the Bengals and the Bills matchup that should be. Right now, hosted at Highmark Stadium, and you know, a game away for the Bills uh, for being in the Super Bowl. But I digress. That is not the situation. Uh, in fact, I am talking off season today, and not only that, but looking around the league at some of our uh, cohorts in Miami. Marcel Louis Jacques going to join us this afternoon from ESPN. Uh, obviously, a big miss yesterday. For the Miami Dolphins losing out on Brian Dable, who um, you know, if you have not heard yet, Brian Dable has uh, agreed to become the next head coach of the New York Giants, and very likely that means Ken Dorsey will be going with him as his uh, offensive coordinator to uh, to become the uh, the ultimate Buffalo trio up in New York with uh, Joe Shane as the new general manager of the New York Giants. Eight oh three oh five fifty. Those that's the number to call. I, I I'm interested in some of your thoughts. Uh, knowing now that uh, it it does look like Dable will be the... uh, uh, Well, it it looks like the Bills will be looking for a new offensive coordinator and may have to go out of house um, for this. I think the ideal... For uh, the ideal situation for everyone here in Buffalo and likely the organization was to simply transition into Ken Dorsey being the team's offensive coordinator with his knowledge of Josh Allen and his relationship with Josh Allen, the knowledge of Brian Dable's offense, and you know could he you know make part of that offense and that scheme his own, and uh, there not be much missed beats here in Buffalo with the offense. But it it looks like anyways that Ken Dorsey is going to be given a pretty handsome ransom. You like that? Um, he he looks like he's going to get a pretty um, a pretty notable upgrade at the salary position, and now the question is, will the Bills? Attempt to get into a bidding war with the New York Giants um, to become the Bills' next offensive coordinator. So we'll see. Uh, I, I guess I would probably tell you I would not anticipate the Bills getting into some back and forth um, trying to pay Ken Dorsey the highest number of any offensive coordinator in the league. And it it's very possible the Giants want to do that because of Brian Dable's belief in Dorsey and what they've been able to do together in Buffalo. And, and there's been a couple of names. I had Sal Capaccio on yesterday on my podcast. We talked about a couple of names, and the name he mentioned as maybe the front runner internally. Not Chad Hall, the Bills' wide receiver coach. Um, A guy with only a few years of NFL coaching experience, um, no play-calling experience. He mentioned a name, Rob Boris. He's the Bills' tight ends coach. He's in his fifth season with the Bills coaching tight ends. And he was actually an offensive coordinator. He called plays in the NFL back in 2000. Uh, And 16 uh, when he was the and and promoted in the 2015 uh, season where he called plays for the final four games of the 2015 season and all of their games in 2016. That's St. Louis at the time and uh, has an extensive college career prior to that as well. So, you know, sales sort of mentioned that as maybe the the most logical or the favorite in terms of internal, um, uh, you know, hires here for the Bills for offensive coordinator. There has been a couple of names that I have really honed in on myself, Um, and I think I'm starting right at Mike Kafka, the the, uh, Kansas City Chiefs pass game coordinator um, and offensive coach and quarterbacks coach. There's a lot to like about the idea of maybe poaching someone from the Chiefs, and it's not just so that you can potentially, you know, get a better feel for what the Chiefs do offensively. And even, obviously, as a defensive coach, wanting some insider information on what the Chiefs do. That's, to me, not a good enough reason to go out and hire a coach. For me, it's the development of Patrick Mahomes and Mike Kafka being there for almost all of it. And not only that, but the ability to take what he's seen from Andy Reid and and building that that scheme around the skill set of not just Patrick Mahomes, but the guys at their skilled positions, the things that I've admired the most about Andy Reid and building that offense with Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City, of course, is their development of Patrick Mahomes. That has been notable. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football, maybe one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the damn game. He's definitely one of the most, if not the most, talented quarterback to play the game. And, you know, what they've been able to do with him has been impressive. But to me, what they've been able to do with Travis Kelsey and, and Tyree Kill and really, really, in my opinion, you know, build an offense around their skill sets, I think to me is is part of the draw for Mike Kafka for me is being around, you know, a head coach that understands he's got to get the ball to those guys as much as possible and in new and creative ways and be a more matchup-based offense. And, and I think that's the one thing you could say about Brian Dable. And listen, I know there's a lot of people – that may look at Brian Dable's time and say, well, he was good, and surely he helped the development of Josh Allen, but he left a lot to be desired. I wasn't a big uh, you know, Brian Dable fan. I didn't like the lulls that you saw. I didn't like some of the, the, the awkward moments of, of, of going too conservative offensively and, and so on and so forth. But you know, I think for everything that Brian Dable was, what Brian really brought to the table is a true ability to adapt and adopt new structure. New scheme week in and week out based on you know matchup and and I think for me that's sort of my main requirement for this Bills next offensive coordinator is a guy to me that would be able to adapt and and listen I, I think Mike Kafka is probably a bit of a reach more than likely no play calling experience I wonder what the level of experience and and what the factor of experience is going to play when Sean McDermott ultimately decides. This is my guy at offensive coordinator. You know, is Doug Peterson, I wonder, a name that the Bills and Sean McDermott... Now, the crossover there in Philadelphia, you know, obviously, Sean McDermott was the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia under Andy Reid, um, or not a defensive coordinator. He was a defensive coach under Andy Reid and under, um, shoot, now I'm uh, Jim Johnson, I believe, is the was the defensive coordinator there for a long time. And then, you know, with... I'm pretty sure the only crossover that Peterson and McDermott had was when Peterson was a player and McDermott was on the defensive staff of Jim Johnson and Andy Reid. So um, I think Doug Peterson's a super interesting name to be talked about. The reason is I think McDermott will value the experience, the winning ways, his ability to get the most out of Carson Wentz. We have not seen Carson Wentz have the 2015 season basically since now a lot of that is due to injuries but what what Doug Peterson was able to extract from Carson Wentz in that 2015 season and then ultimately win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles would suggest to me that there is something there as a play caller that I could get with with Doug with Doug Peterson now I think the knock on Doug Peterson was his ability to connect and his ability to be a leader and a head coach not necessarily to be an offensive coordinator or a play caller. So I think for me, the Doug Peterson connection could be a really interesting one for the Bills. And and I wonder if, if maybe if, if ultimately experience is going to be the thing that Sean McDermott wants more than, you know, ceiling or, you know, having played the position or the success uh, of the offense, where they're coming from, you know, I, I think experience may end up being a factor that you see be the, the 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 quote unquote trump card in this is that going to be the difference that if you are Sean McDermott you want a guy that you could sort of give the offense to and feel like they're in good hands and if you have Mike Kafka Maybe the concern is that you have to babysit a little bit, and maybe the concern is you have to let him grow into that position. And you know, like I, I think it was it was maybe Greg Thompson a cover one that 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 suggested maybe Mike McDaniel, the offensive coordinator for the San Francisco Forty who who is the offensive coordinator, but he does not call plays. That's Kyle Shanahan that calls plays. So maybe you offer Mike McDaniel the ability to call plays, which is an upgrade, which. The Bills would be able to do and request an interview, and maybe that's the guy. But for me, McDaniel doesn't make a whole lot of sense. First of all, McDaniel is likely the favorite right now to land the Miami Dolphins job. So if he, for whatever reason, does not land the Miami Dolphins job, Mike McDaniel, to me, represents essentially a one-year Band-Aid. Because Mike McDaniel, he comes here to call plays for the Bills and Josh Allen. And he's the finalist for one team's head coaching vacancy and then has a great season with Josh Allen. He's going to be gone next offseason. You're going to be right back in the position that you are right now. And that's sort of the delicate balance of picking coordinators. Do you want to pick a young guy with, with upside that could end up leaving the very next season after using you as a springboard? Now, you sort of have to balance experience with youth and, you know... Being a hot candidate, because if you do decide to go after a Mike McDaniel, right, is putting yourself in the same position 12 months from now, needing to hire an offensive coordinator, even though you might get one great season on a Mike McDaniel, a good move for you? Or do you take someone that you maybe don't believe is as good? As Mike McDaniel, because you believe they'll be here for a longer term, and and I think that's just such a unique and difficult balance to strike when you're trying to pick your team's next offensive coordinator. And and listen, I think what this comes down to is how important the offensive coordinator is for the Bills, for Josh Allen, and for Sean McDermott moving forward. You have the quarterback, and how much does it truly matter if Josh Allen is elite? Does it matter who the coach is? Does it matter who's calling plays? And I know there's a consensus or th- there there's at least a narrative that maybe it doesn't. Like like maybe whoever's calling plays for Josh Allen is kind of secondary to having Josh Allen. But I would say that I'm curious to know if there's an offensive coordinator hire available this offseason, this this cycle that could get something a little bit more from Josh Allen. And that's not to say that Brian Dable didn't, you know, totally max out Josh Allen. I think he did about as just about as close as you could do to maxing out Josh Allen's ceiling. I, I think we saw it in the last two games against the Patriots and the Chiefs respectively. So it's not to me that it's 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 not to say that Brian Dable left food or he left meat on the bone or anything. But I wonder if there is a particular scheme or a particular coach that could maybe get to that ceiling more consistently week in and week out. And, and is that guy, Doug Peterson, is, is that a guy that has experience? Is that a guy that maybe is young that you can have Josh Allen connect with? I, I know I see a lot of people talking about Jordan Palmer. First and foremost, let me just let me go ahead and end any Jordan Palmer narrative or rumor or hope. Jordan Palmer will not be the next offensive coordinator for the bills. He will not be the next quarterback coach for the bills. He will not be the next head coach of any team. Jordan Palmer has arguably one of the best gigs in America. He gets to tutor young quarterbacks at the elite 11 and then gets to bring in every offseason four, five, seven off, uh, you know, NFL quarterbacks to come in and train and work with him. He's a tutor for the league's top quarterbacks. He's in California. He's got young kids. He is not going anywhere. He is not going to be a coach. And I get it. The connection makes sense. He works with Josh Allen and if you want to give Josh a, a a guy that he connects with that he can that that knows and trusts, I get it. But that's just it's not Jordan Palmer. Jordan Palmer is not leaving what he does to become an NFL head coach or an NFL coach period simply because of the rigors. You're going to make less money and have more hours and you know, not have the ability to coach other guys and coach young guys. It, it becomes way more of a serious job compared to what he's doing now, which is essentially a part-time quarterback tutor, which it's hard to beat that in today's world. So, yeah, Jordan Palmer, let me just nip that in the butt now. Not happening. Eight zero three zero five fifty one 550 1-888-552-550. What are your thoughts on the Bills' offensive coordinator position? Let's go to the phones and go to Anthony DePew, who is waiting patiently. Anthony, you're on Sports Talk Saturday, my friend, and welcome to you.
3: Hey, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate you bringing me on. Pleasure. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, if the Bills bring in a new offensive coordinator from outside the organization, how do you think that affects the positional coaches? I mean, I would assume that a guy that comes in wanting to run his own offense wants to bring in guys that he's worked with in the past at position groups. I feel like right now we got a good, a good staff at the in the Bills organization, so I feel like sure. whoever they bring in is, is basically accepting the fact that they're inheriting a receivers coach and a tight ends coach and a line coach that McDermott – and uh, and being have brought in already, uh, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on on has that happened in the past where you know guys come in as a new OC and they kind of clean house on the offensive staff and they bring in their own guys or do you think the guys that we have right now stay?
1: So thanks for the call, Anthony. I think it's a good question. I I, I would tend to lean towards this team retaining Chad Hall and Rob Boris and 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 you know maybe their offensive line coach who I believe is. I'm confusing him with Eric Washington. I know it's an Eric Washington. He's their defensive line coach. But I would tell you that it's very likely that the Bills would end up keeping Chad Hall and Rob Boris. Listen, they have two openings right now if Ken Dorsey leaves. They've got quarterbacks coach and your offensive coordinator. And if you're, if you're Sean McDermott, do you – the question becomes if you're Sean McDermott, do you try to maybe leverage that, right, and say – hey, Doug Peterson, you have the pick of Jacksonville as their offensive coordinator. You have the pick of Green Bay or, you know, some of these other places across the league. But we'll give you the opportunity to bring your own quarterbacks coach with you. Now, I'm not sure how realistic that is only because I think Josh Allen's going to have a lot of say in A, the offensive coordinator, but he may have even more say in the quarterbacks coach. So, you know, I I think Tierney is still... See, here's the thing. Is Tierney going to leave the Bills' quarterback's coach? Um, I wonder if he leaves. So then that could be three openings, Anthony. And then I would tell you that that's a lot of turnover regardless. So does Tierney get bumped up as this team's, like, pass game coordinator and the team's – does he take over for, you know, Dorsey – when you bring in a Peterson, when you bring in a Pep Hamilton, when you bring someone like that. So, listen, I think there's a lot of names out there outside. I, I didn't even mention Pep Hamilton as maybe the one guy I'd, I'd maybe target over everybody else. Doug Peterson's there. I, you know, you got Mike Shula. You got Dave Cully. You got Matt Nagy. You got Pat Shermer. But th- those are not names to me. Cully, Nagy, Shermer, Shula. Those are not names to me that 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 I'm looking at as viable options or or I hope are not viable options for Sean McDermott and this Bills team. It's just... Those do not scream to me as guys that I, I I'm I'm looking to turn the page with. Now they would fit the bill of, hey, you go after Kali, Nagy, Shermer, Shula, you may not have to worry about them leaving next year or the year following. They they may not ever have the opportunity to be a head coach again. I would say Kali. That was probably his once and only in, in Houston last year. And listen, I like what David Culley did last year in Houston. I'm just not sure he's a play caller. I'm not sure he's the guy I'm looking to bring in here as this long team's long-term answer at the offensive coordinator position. Because if he did come in here, he's likely your long-term answer. I don't see him getting another opportunity as a head coach elsewhere. Same with Mike Shula. Shula's not going to be a head coach in this league. Uh, Shermer. Is not going to be head coach in this league. What he did in Denver the last two years, I'm good. Like I'm good with that. I, I don't. I don't want anything to do with Pat Shermer. And you know Matt Nagy. Listen, for all intents, we got Greg Gabriel on, who, who was a scout for the for the Bears and is a pretty is a pretty good grasp and pulse on what the Bears are and what they do. Will I'll ask. Greg Gabriel, later on in the program about Matt Nagy. In the sense I've gotten from everyone that's on the inside in Chicago, it was not Nagy's ability to be a leader and a head coach. It was his ability to play to, to, to create an offense and, and to be a good offensive coach. And that's what he was brought in for. That's why they go Matt Eberflus, by the way. Because, frankly, I, I think they're sick of getting burned by first-time play callers. And Nagy burned them. Mag, Nagy... Did not bring the goods as an offensive coach. He was fine as a head coach, as a leader. He was not a good offensive coach. I am all out on Matt Nagy as the Bills' offensive, uh, next offensive coordinator. Let's go to Jeff in Lackawanna. Jeff, you're on Sports Talk Saturday. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, how you
3: doing? Thanks for having me on. No problem. Uh, so I remember watching at the end of Hard Knocks in 2016, they had uh, you know, the coaches were all fired and some of them wound up going to other places. And Rob Boris was one that wound up going to Buffalo. I remember watching that season. And I don't really be a big fan of hard knocks anymore, but I remember thinking his play calling was right on, but the execution was terrible with the team. So, if that's an option to bring him on as our play caller, I'm, I wouldn't be against it because, like I said, he had, he called the plays, but the execution between Goff or, uh, or whoever the other quarterbacks were, you know, it just wasn't connecting. I remember watching plays in which, you know, the ball is hitting receivers right in the numbers while they're staying in the end zone and they're dropping the ball. I mean, it's not the offensive coordinator's fault, but the play was called right, but the execution was terrible. So, you know, if they gave him the tap, I wouldn't be against it.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think, Jeff, thanks for the call. The interesting part about Boris, right, and I'll go into his 2016 season where it was his first full year as the offensive coordinator. He took over, I believe, hold on, let me just double-check this. He took over... With four games remaining, and it was essentially Jeff Fisher's last ditch effort to make a move here. They go seven and nine in that season. Rob Boris takes over for the last four games. And in the last four games, they go three and one. And in those games, they score 21, 31, 23, and 16. The three the four weeks prior, the the five weeks prior before Rob Boris taking over in St. Louis. 18 points, 13 points, 13 points, 7 points, 3 points. At that point was when Frank Signetti was fired. Rob Boris takes over, and there was a clear increase. There was a clear step in the right direction for them, and that year would have been Nick Foles and Case Keenum at the quarterback position. Um the following season, the 2016 season, Rob Boris's first full season as offensive coordinator, the Rams go four and twelve, and they go and Fisher gets fired after 13 games. They're worst in the league in offense, 23rd in points against, and they go four and twelve. So not a great showing, but you have Case Keenum again and Jared Goff. Jared Goff comes in in that season, and to, to your point, you know. Does not look good, but I think it's something to be. It, th- there's something to be said about that season and being in a, in a lame duck situation where you have a, a head coach and Jeff Fisher who is clearly on the hot seat. I remember that 2016 season and people saying, You're bringing Jeff Fisher back? Makes no sense. You have a rookie quarterback. You're going to fire this guy. You have the number one pick and you're bringing back a lame duck head coach. And it didn't work out. So listen, I, like you go through and did the first two weeks. Nine points combined in the first two weeks of that season, and then they go out and score 37 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So you know what? What? Who's to know? I I I think looking at Boris's one year as a play caller in St. Louis with the offense and the considering the situation that he had, I think is a tough is it, it's probably a tough thing for me to do. But he's likely the favorite in house now. Whether or not they view that as the actual overall favorite for the for the position, I don't know. We'll see. Um, But it's something to pay attention to moving forward. Thanks for the call, guys. I appreciate it. I'm going to take a timeout. On the other side, Mike Catalana of uh, Fox Wham in Rochester is going to join us. He's a Bills beat reporter, uh, fan of the program. And uh, we're going to talk with Mike next about what what is next for the Bills, not just an offensive coordinator. What happens with with Leslie Frazier moving forward? We'll rewind a little bit, talk about the last 13 seconds and more. So that's coming up next here with Mike Catalana on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. We really need new phones.
0: T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s.
1: Everybody, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR Nake Erie, Zach Jones hanging out with you here until two o'clock. We've got Sabres action tonight. Nine PM Sabres after dark, eight PM pregame, nine PM puck drop against the Arizona. Coyotes going to the Western Hotline for our first guest of today's show is Mike Catalana of 13 WHAM and Fox Rochester. He's the sports director there for Fox Rochester and of course the editor for Buffalo Plus YouTube channel and BuffaloPlus.com. Mike, thanks so much, my friend. Um, it's been a while since we've chatted. I don't know it. I don't know where to start with you. I don't, I, this is my first show. Um, you know. Post thirteen second gate, and uh, I, 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 I've been trying to determine how much, like, w- what my appetite for really continuing to talk about that game is, or, or just do we just simply talk about Brian Dable? I think maybe putting a bow on it makes sense. Um, I don't know. Is there something outside of the final two plays of regulation, and then whatever you want to talk about with overtime? Is there something that stands out to you that maybe? just collectively we haven't maybe paid attention to enough. I know a lot of people have paid attention to the kickoff and should have, should have been a squib, a sky kick, um, and then you know how they, they play defense on those last two plays of regulation. But it, it, have you been thinking about something that maybe hasn't been one of those primary talking points we've been hearing for the last couple of, uh, couple of days?
2: Hey, you know, the way I've been thinking about it is the collective mistakes that were made, and I think it's a combination of things. I think we like to try to tie things up in a bow and blame one person. I mean, ultimately, it's on Sean McDermott because he's the head coach. But the thinking sometimes is that you didn't do the kickoff, therefore they lost the game. I'm not saying you're saying this was the idea. To me, it was the lack of something this team, I think, is normally pretty good at, communicating what they want to do and then executing. It doesn't always work in your execution of it. You know, that's what they always say. But, like, it was. Could it, is it, I'm thinking to myself, is it possible that it wasn't communicated to the kicker? Is it possible that maybe chipping Kelsey off the line wasn't communicated? I, I mean, when you watch it back, you think to yourself, was this like a, the second quarter of a game? Like, that's the way they were playing. And that's the part that sticks with me a little bit. This immensely entertaining, thrilling game – And then in the moment, the 13-second moment, it was a failure at a lot of levels. And I do believe, by the way, I hear fans say it, and I get it. We deserve answers. You're not getting them. (laughs) You know, Malcolm Butler didn't play in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, and Nick Foles lit him up. Everybody's like, how could you not play him? He was one of our best corners. But Belichick stills never said a word about it. (laughs) He's just not. They're just not going to do it. And whatever McDermott knows about what happened, he ain't telling anybody because he's not throwing anybody, <clears throat>, whether coaching or players, under the bus. And we won't hear from him until the combine or maybe, I guess, at the senior bowl. But that's not going to be a conversation. So, to me, it's more the overall you know, a failure to communicate <laughs> that really bothered me the most.
1: Yeah, I think I'm with you. I, I, I wonder... I wonder if there is a real discussion to be had about fundamentally changing well, at least how the Bills look to approach defending teams in those final moments. And listen, I part of this conversation, and I'm glad that you sort of said it the way that you did, Mike, which is it's sort of a combination of things. It's not just the kickoff, it's not just the communication or the execution. There there was I think maybe the most disappointing part about this is thinking of who the coach is and knowing how much detail and detail oriented he is, that there could be so many things go wrong in such a concentrated and just the most important game time of the game to have so many communication and execution breakdowns for someone who practices every situation and scenario. That to me, Mike is the thing that I just maybe doesn't sit well with me the most. And to your point, that's probably why people want answers, maybe more than ever, right. is because they know just how buttoned up this franchise has been since Bean and McDermott have gotten here. And to simply point to all of these, uh, you know, all these examples of dropping the ball, it just doesn't make sense. And I think people want somebody to blame because I think deep down in everyone's heart, they look at McDermott taking it and say, yeah, I get what you're doing, but I don't buy it, man. Nobody believes you're really at fault here. And and that's the thing though, Mike, is he's never going to put somebody in front of that or under the bus.
2: Right. And, and when you look and see, you know, it's Poyer and Hyde out there. Like they know what's going on, right? They 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 get the circumstances. They get the time and the distance and all those things. And I watched the way they played and and you know and Kelsey's catch maybe obviously it probably bothers people the most was the simplest pass and catch that I think Mahomes had the whole game. I mean it was lunacy to let him go to there. And think about with the amount of time left on the clock. Everybody worries about getting beat deep. You always worry, right? There's always that panic of look at what happened in that Rams game. They couldn't let somebody get over the top and then they did,
1: right? Yeah. Yep. You
2: always worry about that. But the clock was. So in your favor, and look, I know there's the rule. I know there's the the Baltimore rule, and even McDermott hinted at it. But man, I would have been, <laughs> I'd have been thinking about taking Hill or Kelsey to the ground early on those
1: routes. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
2: And putting the ref in a position of calling the deliberately using the clock. That would be a tough call to make. I just wouldn't have. I, I you know, there's so many things there in those circumstances that bother me. Um, but again, the kickoff maybe. I won't say the least, but I still look at it and say 25-yard line, you got to get 40-some-odd yards. You basically have two plays, and you let them do it rather easily. I think that bothers me almost more than the kickoff, which you would hope would have taken a few seconds off the clock.
1: Mike, I don't think I've ever seen Patrick Mahomes take a three-step drop and have the ball out at the top of his drop. That might have been the first time that's ever – that's ever actually happened, like him throwing in phase. He's the type of guy that holds onto the football and tries to make plays happen. And the situational awareness and the breakdown there, Mike, is another thing, is defending the sidelines when a team has two timeouts left, to me, is... yeah, again like and this is yeah. the this is another layer of it. There are so many breakdowns, Mike. The more you talk about it, the more frustrating it becomes because again, the detail that to me just says something and and maybe more of this is McDermott's fault because I I think if you have so many breakdowns and errors and communication and execution errors that some of that does fall on the head coach. You are the CEO on the field. And if you are not yeah. having your coaches communicate the right things to your players, and then, or worse, your coaches are communicating those things to your players and your players are going rogue, which I'm going to want to say I'm confident did not happen. Mike, right. right? Is that the players just decided that yeah. they were going rogue? Right. I, I, I don't believe that happened. So what it what it says to me is there is a serious failure of a failure of communication. That's not execution, Mike. That's communication.
2: Well, that's you know, and they had timeouts. This was not a panic situation, right? And they they, they were
1: in the middle and of timeouts. Yeah, they used right, them. They used them.
2: So I, I, I'm just, you know, it's like I think about from playing basketball, like there's things the coach would tell you if you're in the huddle and whatever, and sometimes it was just like the last second as you're going back on the court, he's like, if there's nobody there, we have a timeout, use it. Like he wanted you to know the second before you went on, and I guess because they had those timeouts, which is a plus, and you use them, which should be a plus, the clock was stopped. It wasn't causing them an issue. It's more important that you get your defense set. I guess that's what just bothers me, and I sat there and watched it, and it was it, the whole thing now just feels like that—the coin flip and the overtime—feels like it was in slow motion. I mean, I was standing on the field for home run throwback. <sighs> I was doing the same thing at wide right. I mean, I told the people here and I said, "Blame me. I was there for no goal. Like I'm there <laughs> oh, for all." Please, Mike. What the hell, watching. dude? It's my fault. I really think I'm. I, I'm guessing. I don't know. Maybe Vic. Was I'm trying to think who else was there? I was there for all of this mess, dude. In the in the times of it falling apart, and then those moments, but those were singular. You know, this one was that that the perfect storm of inevitability. Yeah, the yes, perfect
1: storm of I and I. I don't l- even really like saying this word because I think it's very harsh. But it's like the perfect storm of incompetence, right? Because, and again, I don't like using that word because I would not categorize or even describe Sean McDermott, any part of him being incompetent at his job. But that's the word that comes to mind when that many things in that moment have to go wrong, Mike, because it's just such an important moment. And you yeah. know, for for Josh Allen to do what he did, be the first quarterback in NFL history to drive two touchdown drives inside two yeah. minutes to take the lead, it's inexcusable in my mind yeah. that you just yeah. – it's – third I know, and, and listen, thirty I'll, I'll we, we can move on because you and I probably just yeah. go in circles in on this. And by the way, you and I are going to have to have a separate conversation about all these games that you've been to. that That is not nearly going to be able to – I'm not going to be able to dedicate um, enough time and just extracting that information from you. So that will be another time. But, yeah, I just the, – the, the overall foundational breakdown that happened, I, I think, to me, is really frustrating, Mike. But maybe the more frustrating thing is the path. Once you finish that 13 seconds, it's Joe Burrow at home. And listen, yes, Joe Burrow has been playing well. The Bengals have been playing well, but you're hosting the AFC Championship game. You're you're favored by a touchdown in that game, and you're probably the Super Bowl favorite. You don't have to go through anybody other than Jimmy, potentially Jimmy Garoppolo, who's ever played in a Super Bowl before. Mike, like the yeah, path no, no, pro- no, will likely never be easier than it would have been had they been able to hang on.
2: Yeah, no, you're right. I, I I saw it happening. I picked him to win in Kansas City and I thought they were gonna do it. And I remember sitting there the last week of the regular season mapping it out in my head how they could be home with the Bengals because of the Bengals letting them jump ahead of them and I and it and it played out that way. And then here you are sitting there, all you have to do is take care of business on any one of those plays. Or I guess you could still say on any one of the plays in overtime too, you gotta to make a play, wasn't close, you know, they they just They just – you know, it's easy to say they were trashed at the end of the game and didn't make a play, but come on, nobody made a play. You don't have to let them walk down the field and score, and that's what they did. So, yes. Okay, we'll move on. We'll move it on. It was a
1: mess. Yes. Spor- Fox Rochester Sports Director Mike Catalana here uh, with me on the Western Hotline. Mike, uh, let's talk about Brian Dable and what was inevitably going to be the situation that was playing out. It was just really a matter of where. was it Would it be Miami or would it be New York? And good on the Giants for not letting Dable get down to Miami for a second interview. I, I, I'm not sure the Giants are able to secure Dable if he ends up making it to Miami for that second interview. So, knowing what we know where Dable is now. The thing I want to ask you is: Looking back on the tenure of Ryan Dable, I, it's hard to look at it anything as a wild success. It's hard for me to pin down and find maybe a more successful four-year stint consistently from an offensive coordinator in in the franchise's history. I mean, they're they're there, but knowing that he was a guy that was eventually going to get a head coaching job, a the fit for Dable in New York, but b, I I, I just looking back. Mike, I just always got the sense, and I think it was it came to a head a few times this year, and I thought it came to a, a, a an ugly head at the end of last year. Did it come off to you that Dable and McDermott, although were friendly, they didn't necessarily agree on everything? And that doesn't need to mean that they didn't like each other. Because I think people can disagree all the time at in, in a job like foot coaching football where there's a lot of degrees of nuance to things, and not ever it's not as just as easy as black and white, you're right, you're wrong, but to me, it came off maybe over the last year and a half or so that there was definitely something there, an underlying disdain for each other, whether it was foundationally or whether it was schematically or a personal level. What was your overall feel of how that relationship evolved, and especially what it looked like over the last year and a half?
2: Um, Well, first of all, I, I would agree with you. Tremendous success. And sometimes I think we get caught up too much in just play calling for a coordinator. Yes, that is a huge part of the job. But look at what Dable's job was for four years. I mean, let's go back to what Josh was and what he became. And you're not just the quarterback's coach. You're a coordinator with the different weapons and the different people and incorporating them in. And that team began as a, you know, team that could move the ball. They scored 20 points a game. They never threw for 300 yards, blah, blah, blah. And then you're trying to move Josh along, take the, you know, hero ball out of him. And they did that to a, to an extent now where, yeah, it flashes its head every once in a while, but please, we'll take this version of Josh Allen and then he becomes the superstar, and then you incorporate these other weapons. I, my thought on Gable and McDermott has been I think Sean likes – I'm not saying to be conservative. I don't believe Sean McDermott believes they should be a running team. I did agree with him on this. The level of physicality that I think you need sometimes comes from that running game, and I thought when they got there – it did, it improved the team in total. They played a more physical brand of the game, which I think helped them in many ways. It's still Josh Allen's offense. It's still him throwing the ball, but I think they had the problem there. But if I'm Dable, I'm saying to myself, hold on a second. We had 500 yards last year. We bring back the same offensive line, which is not road grader or offensive line. John Feliciano's 35 pounds less, and now you want me to run the ball? Like I think that's where it mm. you know. And we have Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, so. It's kind of that idea of it's the team McDermott wants. I'm not saying he wants to be the Titans. He realizes what he's got in the quarterback. And I hate the word balance. It's not balance. I never say 50, 50 any of that nonsense. But I think what we saw from this offense later in the year is what you kind of want going forward. You want at least the ability to do that better than you did before. And I think that was where it was always. And, look, Brian Dable's a personality. He's, I think he's built to be a head coach. I mean, he had all those years in New England. He's got five rings for it. You know, he worked with Saban. He's got a lot of that going. He believes in what he's doing. And is there conflict? Yeah, I would think there would be. To me, it's the point where your head coach is not the offensive guy. He's not. So he has to give control and, in many cases, credit that goes to the coordinator. I think inherently that can cause a bit of a divide. Um, but their pros, they work together. I even noticed McDermott became much more publicly complimentary on mm. Dable. I think they worked it out however they needed to. And the offense, I mean, the offense in the playoffs was – spectacular I mean it was all the things that you kind of want them to be able to do it felt with like the, the
1: combination season. of like four yeah. years Mike is what it felt like yeah. right
2: yeah and Alan has reached that level now I think the kid is awesome I think he's he I won't say superstar yet only because I think you got to win big to be there but he's as close as you get only because he needs that next level in the uh, but, I, I mean, I have friends all around the country that know I cover the – and they, they just love watching the guy play. Like, he's not at Mahomes because Mahomes has won these games. I mean, we know that's the difference there. But he's unbelievable. But, again, this this was a process to get him there. He's a hard worker, immensely coachable. and But the trust he had in Dable was so valuable. And that's why sometimes I'll hear people go, ah, let Dable go. And this is it. They're going to miss him. They're going to adjust to whatever it is. They're going to miss him being there. Josh is going to miss him. But this is Josh Allen at this age with this experience going into next year. If he'd have left him two years ago, eh, it's a different story. Sure. Believe me, the bird is ready to fly. He's already flown out of the nest. Like this, he's set Josh up, and Josh has set himself up for immense success continuing the rest of his career. It's a lot easier job coaching that guy now. Than it was three four years ago.
1: Mike, last thing I have for you on Dable and Dorsey here is sort of the Dorsey yeah. connection. It's it sounds like, um, I and I think a lot of people are surprised. A lot of Bills fans are surprised. I was talking about this with Sal yesterday and. I, I I There is zero way I will make an argument that going to coach Daniel Jones is a good business decision over coaching Josh Allen if you're given the option to do both. The problem is, is there's so much more that goes into this is a job. It's not just as easy and black and white as saying Josh Allen's better than Daniel Jones. I will stay in Buffalo. That's that. You know We don't know what the money situation, what the living situation, what his family wants. Those are things that I don't think Bills fans are really taking into account and in thinking about this. So... Where this is right now, it could be possible that they lose their offensive coordinator and their pass game coordinator, who were both pretty integral in you know the development of Josh Allen. If they do, is Rob Boris, who I think a lot of people are now starting to get familiar with, um, the team's uh, tight ends coach who has experience as an offensive coordinator calling plays in this league, as probably your best and most qualified in-house um, you know candidate, or do you believe that the Bills will prioritize this and say, like, we need somebody with experience and, like, hey, let's go get Doug Peterson or something. Like, what, how, what do you think the next Bills offensive coordinator looks like if, it's, if you agree that it doesn't sound like it's going to be Ken Dorsey?
2: Well, look, uh, Bean already said, by league rules, they've got to open this up. And I think they will. And I don't think there's any particular rush in that case. And I mean that only because you can go a lot of different ways now if you want to. Um, that's a job a lot of people would want. Okay, so it is coaching Josh Allen in this offense. Now, when you look at it for guys, even a Ken Dorsey, like you look at it and you say, Okay, I'm taking over with Josh here. Whatever credit to help Josh Allen that was out there kinda went with Brian Dable, in my opinion. And Dorsey to that extent. But I'm saying is what are you doing for Allen going forward? that's good. People are going to be like, "Wow, what? Look what Ken Dorsey did for him this year. I mean, look at the level he's playing at now." So, so there is a much greater room to show what you can do going somewhere else. But Doug Peterson's an interesting one. I, look, the guy won a Super Bowl, and he was really good at calling plays and phenomenal in the playoffs in those years. Lost his whatever control with the team that went south. I still believe Doug Peterson's sitting back waiting for the head coaching job that he wants. It's kind of interesting. It's now, you know, second year out here, and, he you know, he could have gotten a job, and he didn't. But I don't know. If you're Doug Peterson, you want to jump in quickly with your experience. You come in. I mean, you're already a head coaching candidate, you would think, around the league. My point is I think there are a lot of ways they can go with this. And I think it's best candidate. I'm not worried about if the guy's going to be there a year, Mm. two years. I'm not worried about any of that. I'm saying the best guy for Josh coming in. And like you said, there could be other elements that you find in this offense. There could be other things you try to do. I think they're going to be making some changes anyway. And by the way, we also have to keep this in mind. Even though it feels like it, he's not the quarterback's coach. This guy's coaching the offense. Incorporating what we're doing on the offensive line. New weapons and all. So there's things they may do going in next year, and they may be looking at somebody else. But, uh, again, with a defensive head coach, it's a little different. And I think you're going to want somebody with experience in that job. And, you know, you mentioned Pep Hamilton, guys like that. You would think that's a pretty good place to go if you're looking for a guy who's had experience in this league, called plays in this league, working with the Chargers, like that kind of guy, and I'm just throwing him out there. Um, I think they have a lot of options going forward, and you start with Allen. But believe me, he needs an offensive coordinator. He needs somebody he can, you know, work with and take, gets the most out of him. And, again, don't underestimate that trust Josh had in Dable. Mm-hmm. He can build that with somebody else. And But he's closer to a finished product. He's pretty close to a finished product now. He's a guy that just about anybody in this league, I would think, would want to work with.
1: Mike, thanks so much, man. Uh, tell us what uh, you, Dan, and Jenna got going on here uh, as we enter into uh, the off season.
2: Yeah, a tons of content on Buffalo Plus. Uh, our own take on everything that has happened, including, you know, Brandon Bean's long news conference, which was great. The way the game ended, our podcast on, hate to say it, it was 13 seconds of ecstasy to agony which is kind of what <laughs> what it was um and that's going to continue and it, it, it went great this year people really responded we appreciated all the support so the offseason is going to be loaded with that including the combine the draft all those things we will be at everything and uh and just trying to trying to keep bills fans as engaged as possible in what's going to be a i'll say a strange offseason it's hard to watch these games
1: Oh, right now, isn't it yeah i i'm I'm going to bet the hell out of them, um but whether yeah, or not definitely. I watch is is something I have not come to grips with yet, so
2: yeah it's it's tough when you feel like last year didn't feel like it. They didn't play well, they lost, okay, would have been great, but it felt that way. This year feels a little different.
1: It's certainly yeah. I especially, Mike, if the Bengals find a way to win and then they end up winning a Super Bowl and they just essentially leapfrog in one season the Bills with their young quarterback and win a Super Bowl, I will be that's why at this point I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I, I just I, I just want the best team to win and if the best team is the is the Bengals, I'm gonna feel really down and out of the, about yeah. that. So And honestly,
2: uh the Rams nine, I just don't I was in Miami for that nothing personal I just don't want to see Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback at a Super Bowl yeah no thanks I saw it once you don't need it again yeah yeah, give me the Rams and I would say either one of these quarterbacks but certainly Rams Chiefs would be a pretty good game Uh, let's see let's see what happens
1: all right Mike appreciate you my friend enjoy the offseason we'll be chatting again soon (laughs) sounds good Nate thanks my friend Mike Catalana there of Fox Rochester going to take a timeout. I'll grab a phone call before we head to Matt Lombardo, a fan side. I'm going to talk about Dable and Dorsey. He, uh, he does a lot of writing for the Giants. So We'll do that one on the other side here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. I'm right up against it. So uh, let me get one phone call in before we go to Matt Lombardo on the other side. Let's go to Billy in Toronto. has been waiting patiently. Billy, you're on Sports Talk Saturday. Welcome, Billy. How
3: you doing, guys? Listen, I got a whole different take on this game. I mean, we've been talking about the uh, offense and who we're going to bring in. There's nothing wrong with, with Buffalo's offense. I don't care who we bring in. It's a great offense, and they can score with anybody. What I don't think is being mentioned at all is the defense. I mean, what happened to the number one defense in the league giving up 42 points Mm. in a a conference championship game? I mean, what's wrong? We didn't have the New York Jets out there for two games, the Miami Dolphins for two games, the New England Patriots for two games with teams that don't have great offenses. I mean, Kansas City went through us like Swiss cheese. I mean, there was no absolute change of plans once they were scoring. You can't send a four-man rush against Patrick Mahomes you even said it to yourself. You never see him drop back for a three-step uh, you know, a 3 step drop back. We've seen what Tampa Bay did to, to Mahomes when they sent the house at him. I mean, when Buffalo played Baltimore, they made Lamar Jackson look like a high school quarterback because they rushed everybody at him. You have got to make Mahomes throw the ball quickly. You can't let him dance around back there with that playground football. I, I thought that I thought that the the defense was abysmal, even on Kansas City side. I mean,
1: yeah, it was a not I mean, a good defensive game for either team. I mean, that's that's for sure. I mean, but listen. I mean, Billy, the quarterback play in that game was probably the best I've ever seen two quarterbacks play football. So that, there's something to be said about that. But, like, for instance, the Tyreek Hill play where he just runs away from the entire defense. Uh, like, there are a couple of plays from that game where you just need your defense to make a play and you expect them to do it with how good they've been all season. And they just didn't do it in the biggest moment. Billy, thanks for the call, my friend. I got to jump. I got to get to a break. Um, I appreciate the call. Listen, I agree. The defense should absolutely be under fire. I just, I guess the context I want to throw to you there, Billy, is that the two best quarterbacks in the league were playing on the same field. No one's going to remember who even was likely playing on either of those defenses in that game. It'll be Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes in that game. That's just how it's going to go. Eight hundred three hundred five fifty. Thanks for the call, Billy. Appreciate you. On the other side, Matt Lombardo, a fan side, joins us next to talk about Brian Dable, Ken Dorsey. That's coming up here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR.